This sermon was delivered at Grand Avenue Baptist Church, a gospel-centered church in Ames, Iowa. Hear more sermons and learn more about Grand Avenue at gabcames.org. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Our scripture this morning is from Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 through 14, which can be found on pages 9 and 10 in your service guide. Cry out loudly. Don't hold back. Raise your voice like a ram's horn. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. They seek me day after day and delight to know my ways, like a nation that does what is right and does not abandon the justice of their God. They ask me for righteous judgments. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted, but you have not seen? We have denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed. Look, you do as you please on the day of your fast and oppress all your workers. You fast with contention and strife to strike viciously with your fist. You cannot fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high. Will the fast I choose to be like this, a day for a person to deny himself, to bow his head like a reed, and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Isn't this the fast I choose, to break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to tear off every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see him, and not to ignore your own flesh and blood? Then your light will appear like the dawn, and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you, and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. At that time, when you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry out, he will say, Here I am. If you rid of the yoke among you, the finger-pointing and malicious speaking, and if you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine in the darkness, and your night will be like noonday. The Lord will always lead you, satisfy you in a parched land, and strengthen your bones. You will be like a watered garden, and like a spring whose water never runs dry. Some of you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will restore the foundations laid long ago. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of streets where people live, if you keep from desecrating the Sabbath, from doing whatever you want on my holy day. If you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not giving your own ways, seeking your own pleasure, or, or talking business, then you will delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride over the heights of the land and let you enjoy the heritage of your father Jacob." For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Becca. Well, we're approaching the end of uh, Isaiah. I hope you have enjoyed going through uh, this book. It's uh, it's a big one, and uh, messages are right in our face and confronting sin and telling us about our Savior. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we can get into this. Father in heaven, we ask that the unfolding of your word this morning would give light to our lives and shape us more into the image of our Savior. And Lord, we change our hearts so that we would be uh, what this text talked about, a light in the darkness of this world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, when I was a younger man, and um, 
I uh, was I started out after high school. I just did mechanic work. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I worked for my uncle there in, in Tupelo, Mississippi, and he began to teach me at his shop how to do things. Actually, his uh, son-in-law did that. And so I was doing that for a while, and he brought my cousin, uh, his daughter's uh, Fiat in. You know what a Fiat is? It's a French car, a little bitty French car. And I didn't know anything about those European cars, but he wanted me to put a new timing belt on there. And uh, so I did, or at least I tried to. I've told some of you this story before when we were talking personally. And... Um, Anyway, you have to line up all these dots on this thing. It's nothing, it was nothing like an American car. And uh, I, I messed it all up. And uh, it's overhead cam. And so we tried to start the motor and the valves are going the wrong time and it's hitting the pistons. And, and we didn't know what was going on. And, and some of you were going, what's pistons? Well, uh, anyway, it's what makes the car go. So my uncle is in the car and he said, pour some gasoline and carburetor. And I went, that usually works. <laughs> I poured gas in a carburetor, and the uh, thing backfired, and I poured too much gas in the carburetor, and the whole engine caught on fire. And it's burning. And he gets out. We're just standing there like this going, yeah, it's on fire. <laughs> and my cousin, uh, his son-in-law runs out, and with a fire extinguisher, puts it out. And uh, Uncle James said, what are you doing? He said, well, the car's on fire. I'm putting it out. He said, I want it to burn. <laughs> I got insurance on that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> that's not my point. <laughs> now, my point is this. Um, you know, it was very important that I got all those timing uh, marks lined up because there was a short in that motor. Uh, I mean, the electrical things were all off. It wasn't firing at the right time. And electrical problems in engines and cars especially, they're hard to diagnose what the problems are. And uh, an electrical problem that uh, is going on in the vehicle, that really can be, it's serious. It can actually be deadly when that's not working and uh, you, you have a wreck in your car because your brakes don't work or your, your transmission doesn't work or, or something goes wrong with the motor can be a real uh, deadly issue. Um, and when we look in Isaiah 58 and 59, yeah, I'm going to connect that to Isaiah 58 and 59, there's a much more serious disconnect going on in these two chapters. There's a, a massive disconnect between what the people were practicing uh, in their worship and how they were living during the week. And that disconnect... Can, we, we can do what they were doing, and we can be disconnected in a way that is uh, deadly. It is dangerous. And they, the people were uh, so disconnected from God, and they, weren't, they were wondering why God was not listening to their prayers, why He wasn't listening to their, them and their worship. And uh, they had a deadly problem. They were just going through the motions of their worship and their spiritual disciplines. And they were saying all the right things in worship. And then the next day, they would move out into their life with cursing and swearing against one another and gossip and criticisms and pursuing their own wealth and selfish desires. They, they were claiming to love God, 
and loved their neighbor, but they were ne neglecting the most vulnerable among God's people, uh, the widows and the orphans. Uh, bottom line, they were not practicing biblical social justice. That's what they were not doing. Uh, there was a deadly disconnect in their hearts and their minds, and uh, they knew how to look religious. They knew how to look pious, uh, but in their hearts, there was no change, and there was no change in their lives from Sunday to Monday. So in Isaiah uh, 58, 13 through 14, it tells us that the people, here's what they wanted, that they wanted to delight in God. But there was a, that deadly disconnect in what was going on in their hearts and how they lived. Look in verses 13 through 14. Uh, Becca read this earlier, but I want to read it again. If you keep from desecrating the Sabbath, from doing whatever you want on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and a holy day of, of, Lord, of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, seeking your own pleasure, or talking business, then you will delight in the Lord. That's what they wanted to do, to delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride over the heights of the land and let you enjoy the heritage of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So in other words, they were going to church, and they would talk about God a little. They would worship a little. They would pray a little and sing a little. Uh, but they would turn the conversation to business and their own selfish pursuits and what they wanted. They wanted to delight in the Lord, but they, they couldn't change. They, they, they couldn't change and they wouldn't change. They, they were continuing to violate the Lord's day. We talked about that last Sunday, how they were violating the Lord's day, the Sabbath. So here's the main point as we jump into the text. The Lord exposes our deadly deception in order to lead us to true delight and satisfaction in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. The Lord exposes, and let's just say He, he will expose our deadly deception, our deadly deception in worship, and in order to lead us to true delight and satisfaction in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I have three hooks here or points I want to hang our thoughts on as we work through these two chapters. And so here's hook number one, the problem. Hook number two is the prayer. And hook number three is the promise. The problem, the prayer, and the promise. First, the problem. In Isaiah 58, 1 through 8, in Isaiah 59, 1 through 8, we find the problem. Let me ask you a question. Uh, if you've got kids, and, uh, or if you've worked with kids, you know, maybe you don't have kids, but you work with kids. Did, have you ever played those pretend games with kids? You know what I'm talking about? You know, they, they want to pretend I'm this and you're that, and Johanna's shaking her head. She must do it a lot. And uh, well, I can remember when my daughter played pretend games with you, so that's how things... <laughs> so, uh, but... Uh, I did that. When we were living in Texas, we had a swimming pool in our backyard because it's always hot, right, in Texas. So we had a swimming pool in our backyard, and Mac was into Pokemon. And uh, you don't know what Pokemon is, do you? Good. <laughs> he was into Pokemon. He wanted to play Pokemon all the time. So we would 
in the evenings getting a swimming pool and we played Pokemon. They had these all kinds of Pokemons and a water Pokemon, a water Pokemon. Oh, really? Okay. So we would play Pokemon and we would splash. We'd say, we're this Pokemon and we'd splash one another. I mean, I didn't matter what Pokemon you were, but that's what you were going to do. You're going to splash them. And so we would pretend to be Pokemons and, and, uh, and I splash Matt water in Max's face a lot. And so it's probably what's wrong with him. And uh, so, uh, but that, that's, What's what was going on in this package passage? These people were pretending, pretending that they were God's people. They were pretending everything was okay, but it was not. And you just can't pretend with God. You know, you can play pretend like Mac and I were, you know, all that, but you can't pretend with God. I mean, it's a deadly game to pretend with God. He he won't play. He'll allow you to play, but you'll always lose in the end if you play that game with him. Because he knows what's going on in your heart. And they had a serious problem. And in Isaiah 58, verse 1, the Lord tells Isaiah to not hold back from confronting the people with their sin. Is it really 945? Uh, When it gets 10 o'clock, I'm just going to have to dismiss the kids because there's no way I can finish this sermon. And we're going to finish this sermon. Okay? You tracking with me? So when he gets 10, if you're working in Children's Foundation, it's going to stop and let you go. Eric, you don't have to come up at that time. So just wait till I pray. So sorry to that little side note there. Um, but when I saw the time, I started to panic. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. We're not, we're not playing that game, right? <laughs> but the Lord tells Isaiah to not hold back from confronting the people with their sin. He was about to preach like he was blowing a trumpet. He just told him to shout it out loud. That's what he wanted them to do. And that sounds pretty harsh to our modern ears. However, God is on a mission to save his people. And, and he wants to bring, the, he needs to bring the problem of their sin to light. And that's the first step. And it's, it's painful to be confronted with our sin. And if you've ever had the desire to return to God, I mean, genuinely return to God, uh, and changing your ways, we begin by being broken over the sin in our lives. That's where we start. And the problem is that many of us are, are talented at pretending. But we're, we're good at telling ourselves that we're fine and everything's okay, but in reality, we're broken on the inside. Verse 2 says, They sought the, door, the, the Lord daily. And they seem to delight in his ways. Uh, they seem to desire to know God's ways. And they were fasting and practicing self-denial. They were going through the motions and checking all the boxes. Oh, I did this today and this today. And, uh, but God's not having any of that. He knew they weren't genuine. He knew they weren't real. He wasn't listening to their prayers. You know, why was he not listening to their prayers? I mean, he heard their prayers. He just wasn't listening. Why? Because they were, their fasting was fake. Their praying was pretending. They were practicing spiritual disciplines, but they were really practicing spiritual deception. That's what's going on. They claimed to love God in His ways, and then they would display their disobedience of not loving God by not loving those God called them to love, especially those in need, especially the vulnerable, especially the widows, especially the orphans and those kind, that, those that Mike Schultz talked about earlier. That Mike, thanks for sharing that. We needed to hear that, be reminded that. I thought, man, this goes right along with our text today. But specifically, God had called out the employers among God's people. He said they showed uh, uh, that they didn't truly love God by the way they treated their employees. Listen to verses 3 and 4 again. 
Why have we fasted, but you have not seen? Why have we denied ourselves, but you have not noticed? Look, you do as you please on the day of your fast and oppress all your workers. You fast with contention and strife. You strike viciously with your fist. You cannot fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high, if it was in parentheses, tomorrow <laughs> or even today. But most certainly, this is not limited to the employers. This is not limited to those who who are bosses and supervisors and managers, this is not limited to them. I mean, the principle here was the hypocrisy that they practiced was everyone was practicing that. James, the Lord's brother, writes this in chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, with the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with the, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. He didn't write that just to the employers. He wrote that to everybody. Blessing and cursing coming out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives? My brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt water spring, a salt water spring yield fresh water. See, Isaiah and James confront us with the way people worship on Sunday and live like the enemy of God the rest of the week. That's what he's getting at. And then Isaiah gets to the heart of the problem in, in, verses, in, in Isaiah 59, 12 through 13. He said, For our transgressions are with us. We know our iniquities. Transgression and deception against the Lord, turning away from following the Lord, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering lies, uh, lying words. Where does he say this coming from? From the heart. From the heart. The bottom line, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart, isn't it? That's what the problem is. It's, it's wicked and deceitful. Who can know what Jeremiah says? You can bet where there is sin, there is a heart problem. And just how bad is our heart problem? Well, Isaiah 59 verses 3 through 8 tells us that to pretend to love and worship God, but then neglect the needs of the most vulnerable, the needy in our society and our community, but make sure our own needs are abundantly met. He says this kind of living is like wearing clothing made of cobwebs. It is actually, it is actually uh, practicing poisonous piety. Because he talks about vipers, eggs, and all of those things in those verses. It's just wicked to do those things. James, the Lord's brother of Jesus, says it this way. He says, this kind of religion is defiled religion. Listen to James chapter 1, verse 27. He says, pure and undefiled religion before God, the Father, is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So, if pure and undefiled religion is loving the widow, orphan, and those most vulnerable, then polluted, defiled religion is neglecting them. That's what it is. He agrees, Isaiah agrees with him. God is saying to us that if we don't love the poor, the widow, the orphan, the needy, the hungry, then we don't love him. And we go through the motions of worship, we may check all the right boxes, but we don't have a relationship with him. Bottom line, Scripture teaches us that the way we treat the poor and needy, listen, that's an overflow of the heart that has been changed and truly worships God. Pastor Ray Ortland Jr. is right when he says, if our Christianity, however sincere, doesn't move us to make the world a better place, it's not only unhelpful to others, it's unacceptable to the Lord. And finally, Isaiah 59 verse 2 is blunt when it identifies our problem. Isaiah says, 
but your iniquities are separating you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. Ow, wow, that's, that's out there. And then, I mean, he's just getting right in our face. He is shouting it out loud. He is blowing the trumpet. He is letting us know what the problem is. This is the heart of the problem. Our sins have separated us from God, and there's nothing we can do to fix it. We were born into this world, separated from God by our sin, and the fact that we sin only validates the fact that we were born separated sinners from God. So don't think, well, I've sinned, and now I'm separated. No, no, you got it backwards. You're behind. You were born a sinner, separated from God, and when you sin, you are simply putting an exclamation point on that fact. Our separation and sin from God, that's evidence, evidenced of the heart problem that we have. Now the question is, is there any hope to change our condition, change our hearts? How do we resolve this problem of being separated from God? How do we resolve this problem of being pretending in our worship, of not having the heart change that we need to have? Well, the second hook that we're going to hang on here is the prayer. The prayer. In Isaiah 58, this is verses 9 through 10, and in Isaiah 59, verses 9 through 13, Isaiah tells us how to turn to God. And, and uh, this is what he said in verse, it says in verses 9 through 10. Chapter 58. At that time, when you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry out, He will say, Here I am. If you get rid of the yoke among you, the finger pointing and the malicious speaking, and if you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine in the darkness and your, and your, <laughs> will shine in the darkness and your night will be like noonday. So Isaiah tells us to call on the Lord in prayer and truly repent. That's what he's calling us to do, to truly repent. And this prayer is a prayer to admit our sin, to quit our sin, and to begin truly loving God and others, to love our neighbors. So did you notice the sin in verse 9? Notice what it says? Finger pointing, a malicious talk. And these were people that were not only neglecting the most vulnerable in their midst, but they were gossiping and blaming others and criticizing, criticizing others. This, this Hebrew word here, the imagery is to inflict wounds on other people with our words. That's what he was doing. They were slowly killing one another with how they talked to them. And it had to be a painful sight for Isaiah to see that in this vision. And Isaiah tells us what we should do in verses 9 through 13 of, of uh, Isaiah 59. Notice how Isaiah includes himself in this sinful people. He says this, there's a because there's a change in the pronouns here, from there and they to us and we. So obviously Isaiah has not been doing these things, but the people that he was with, they were doing those things. And so he included himself corporately in that body that had turned away from them. And so listen to his words in verses 12 and 13, and uh, let them be an example to us of how to pray and how to really own our sin and turn back to God. Listen to what he says. He says, For our transgressions have multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us, for our transgressions are against us, and we know our iniquity, our transgressions are with us, I'm sorry, 
and we know our iniquities. And in verse 13, I'm going to smooth out the translation here a little bit. Our transgressions and deception are against the Lord. We keep turning away from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering lying words from our heart. So, our hearts, I'm sorry, plural. <laughs> the problem here, the problem here is when we are confronted with our sin, our tendency is self-righteous defensiveness. But Isaiah calls us to own it. He calls us to admit it. No one wants to admit their sin. Is that ever any fun? Ever any pleasure in that? No, it's painful. It makes us cry. I mean, I mean, we're singing this morning. We're going through the confession. I'm going, I'm just weeping. I'm going, that's me. That's me. I remember, I, I can remember sins this week. I can remember sins 30, 40 years ago. I'm going, ah, man. But thank God for grace that comes in Christ. Because the renewal and the revival begins in our heart when we own our sins, when we pray, when we pray to God and confess our sin to Him. And, and, and I kind of got a little ahead of myself. It's like when I remember when I was a young man and, and I had been living a rebellious life and I had tried to stop living that way several times and over and over I would fail and I would try these self-righteous techniques and all of these little things I would learn in school and, and, and it just didn't work. And eventually I just hit bottom. Have you ever hit bottom in your life? Hey, listen, bottom is a good place to be. Isn't it, David? It's a good place to be. And as much uh, as uh, what Isaiah describes here, uh, and I realized I, would, I mean, I realized I was separated from God and as painful as that was for me, what I needed to do was own my sin, confess it and turn away from it. And I remember the night when I just got out on my knees and I said, Lord, I give up. I just give up. I, I can't do this anymore. I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. Would you put somebody in my path to help me? Help me. And, and, and you know what? The next day, the Lord answered that prayer. When an old mechanic, when I was going through college, an old mechanic, and I was, I was putting myself through school by still doing mechanic work, he came up to me and invited me to church. And when I prayed that prayer the night before, and I was like, God's answering my prayer. He's listening to me because I am genuinely wanting to return to him. I was just, you know what? Boy, I was like, I'm listening, Lord. What do you want me to do? I'm, I'm, I'm going to do? I'm going to do it this time. I'm burning the ships. I'm turning away from all of that. And, and you know, the Lord did that. The Lord did that. I mean, bottom is a good place to be. And what you and I need is a Savior to save us, a Savior who is not separated from God by sin, who, who came and He's fully God and fully man, who, who lived this perfect life that we could not live, we couldn't and we wouldn't do it, and we, we needed God to reconcile us to Himself through Him. We need a Savior that is holy, perfect, righteous, and that will fight the battles that we cannot fight. And we must call on Him to save us and to change our hearts. And this leads us to that last point that we need, right? The promise. Now, last point, the promise. And in this last point, we see what God does to save us. And He surveys the world. And He surveys our lives. And He's not surprised by what He sees. 
God is not surprised when he when we read this text. He's going to sound like God's surprised, but he's not surprised. He's incensed. That's what he is. He is incensed. In Isaiah 59, 14 through 15, he sees his people are refusing to practice justice and righteousness. And those things were missing in their government, in their society, and in their community. And, and, Not only were truth and justice missing, and those who tried to practice that, who were trying to change and be obedient to God, those people were being humiliated and put down and ruined. And this was a sad state. It was a hopeless place to be. And then finally in verse 16, he sees that that no one is incensed with him. No one is shocked that these things had developed, and, and no one is interceding and calling on him to help them. And so when God sees their plight... He acted, and He did something to bring salvation to His people in spite of them. Look in verses 17 through 20, Isaiah 59. He put on righteousness as a body armor, and a helmet of salvation on His head, and He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and He wrapped Himself in zeal as a cloak, so He would repay according to their deeds, fury to His enemies, retribution to His foes, and He will repay the coast and the inlands, and they will fear the name of the Lord in the west, and His glory in the east, for He will come in like a rushing stream, driven by the wind of the Lord. The Redeemer will come to Zion, and those in Jacob who turn from transgressions, this is the Lord's decoration. Now, de- declaration. Uh, now, this text here has several applications, all right? It's applying to them as they're returning from Babylon and going back into uh, uh, Jerusalem and Judea. But it's also applying to when Christ would come to save his people. You hear the spiritual armor that Paul talked about in Ephesians 6 alluded to in this text. But here's what we know. God promised to save His people. And then in the New Testament, we learn that He came in the person of Christ, our warrior king, to do that for us. He did what we couldn't do. He did what we wouldn't do. And He loved God with all of His heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then He was ruined for us on the cross. The one, the only one who was obedient died on the cross for our sin. Our warrior king didn't fight a war with flesh and blood. He dressed himself with the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation, and he fought sin and the spiritual forces of evil and defeated them by laying down his life and rising from the dead as our champion. That's what Christ did. Jesus, our champion, will save those who turn from their sin in repentance and faith, and in Him, uh, He will save them. But those who refuse to trust Him will be left on their own. Those who reject Jesus will get to do their own thing, and then be in the end be repaid according to their own deeds. So bottom line... Here's the difference between these two groups. One group is repaid according to their deeds of self-righteousness. And in the end, they will stand before Almighty God clothed in cobwebs and poisonous piety. And these will not stand in the final judgments like what Psalm 1 said last week. They will be blown away like the chaff. However, those who trust in Christ will be repaid according to the Deeds of Jesus, His righteousness, His perfection, His holiness, His sinlessness. God will see them in the same way He sees Jesus. 
God will treat them in the same way He treats Jesus, and God will love them in the same way He loves Jesus. See, this is a promise to those who repent and believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then finally, in Isaiah 58, 11 and 12 and 14, these things become true for those who trust Christ. Listen to it again. The Lord will always lead you, satisfy you in a parched land, and strengthen your bones. You will be like a watered garden like a spring whose water never runs dry. Some of you will rebuild the ancient ruins. Now, what he's talking about there, he's talking to those people that are in Babylon, and some of them will come back and rebuild their ancient ruins. But there's a bigger and, and broader and more forward-thinking meaning to this too, and I'm going to touch on it in just a moment. But he says, some of you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will restore the foundation laid long ago. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of streets where people live. And then in verse 14, it says this, then you will delight in the Lord. And Yah will make you ride over the heights of the land, and let you enjoy the heritage of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And these three verses are filled with beautiful promises that unfold for those who trust in Christ. Verse 11 begins by saying, The Lord will. The Lord will do it. The Lord will do what we cannot do. He will do that for us. He will satisfy you. He will strengthen you. He will water your life and make it eternally fruitful. See, this life can suck the life out of us, can't it? But those who trust in Jesus are filled with His Holy Spirit, and His Spirit is an eternal source of satisfaction and joy. It doesn't mean you always walk around happy all the time and singing, don't worry, be happy. That's not what it means. It, it means you, you have a deep joy in the darkness of this world. You have one who is the object of your faith that you trust in, who went to the darkest place it could ever be, and he purchased joy and satisfaction for you. You can trust in him. Jesus created this well of life-giving water in our hearts. He, he put that there, and that is the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And we don't have to trudge uphill. I love the way John Piper talks about it in his book, uh, The Pleasures of God, the guy trudging up the hill with a bucket of water and pouring it in the well. We don't have to pour our self-righteousness in the wellspring of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is overflowing, and as it overflows, it overflows on us, and it changes us, and shapes us, and makes us into the image of Christ. And so we want to begin to do the things that God wants us to do from the heart. Doesn't mean you won't ever struggle, doesn't mean you're always perfect, but that desire is there. And when you fail, you can genuinely repent and turn to Him. And then notice this strange phrase in the, in the verse, God will strengthen your bones. He will strengthen your bones. And it's not referring to your physical body, though re, you know, strengthen your bones could mean that in certain contexts of Scripture, but it doesn't mean that here. This is a particular Hebrew word of bones. It's a metaphor, and what it is referring to is the foundation of your life. And just like the bones in your body is the structure of your body and the foundation of your body, it holds you together. That's a strong part of your body. God will become the foundation of your life. That's what he's talking about here. Next we see we'll be like a watered garden that never runs dry. And this means that those who belong to Jesus will be filled with God's Spirit and bear the fruit of the Spirit. 
Jesus tells us in John 14, uh, 4, 14, whoever drinks of the water that I give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of, et- of, of water welling up to eternal life. And so if you've never drank from the well of Jesus, then turn to him in faith today and, and satisfy your heart. That's, that's really ultimately what you're wanting. That's what you're looking for. Next in is Isaiah 58 tw- and, and verse 12. He tells us that those who trust in Jesus will rebuild, restore, and be called restores. Now, this is an amazing promise. Because those who trust in Christ, will, their lives will be rebuilt. They will be restored by the Spirit of God. And that, that's, I mean, listen, if you've ever been at the bottom, that promise right there is huge. Really, my life can be rebuilt? Really, my life can be restored? Yeah. John 3, Jesus calls this kind of restoration being born again. That's what it is. The heart is made new. It's been resurrected from the dead. And those who trust in Christ will be given a, a, a second chance at life. And then they take this new life that they are given, and then they begin to rebuild the lives of others by telling them about the Savior who rebuilds lives. That's how they become restorers. Finally, verse Uh, 14 ends where we began, doesn't it? Then you shall take delight in the Lord. So we end this sermon where we began, learning that our ultimate desire is to delight in God. Satisfaction, happiness, and delight, that's really what we want in life, and that's only found in Christ. The problem is, we seek satisfaction and happiness and delight in everything but God, if we're not careful, that's what we'll do. We'll drift into that. We'll stumble into that as believers. Or if we're not born again, then we'll just do it. We'll do whatever we want to do. And the whole time, we're missing out on Christ. Friends, if we will turn to Jesus in faith, He will lead us through the wilderness of this life to our heavenly home. That's where Isaiah is going to take us, ultimately. He's going to take us to the glory of Mount Zion. And that's where this is headed. Jesus will take us there. And we can walk there together as a church. That's what the body of Christ is for. A local church is to make that journey together. If you've never trusted Christ, won't you turn to Him today? If you don't have a church home, we would love to talk with you about what that means. And if you just need prayer or something like that, and want to talk about your relationship with Christ, I'd be glad to talk with you at the conclusion of this service. Let's pray.